for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, we get so many emails or messages from guys and gals saying that they're either wanting to or actually planning their first elk hunt. The first response from us is always, man, that's awesome. The second response is, be careful. Once you do this, you'll be change your life forever. Trust me, y'all, that's straight up gospel right there. It can change your life, bring some things into focus, or hit you over the head with things that you need to change. On tonight's show, inspired by a story from one of our listeners, we talk about many ways elk hunting can affect your life and you as a person. That topic, along with our shout outs, live viewer questions and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show, and for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, your host for your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. Been a bumpy ride here today, and coming from you from New Mexico, Joe Gillia and Leroy Chav Chavez, your elk hunting coaches, and none other from Katy, Texas, one of, and maybe the leader of the Venezuelan mafia, <laughs> Luis Gonzalez, but it depends on who you ask. Yeah, that's right, man. Right. And since <laughs> hey, I'm guys. in the show, it's May. Hey. Good, good to see everybody. <laughs> I, you know, before we get going, man, nobody has seen what's been going on in the background here. We've been, we've been trying to go live on YouTube, 
Gilbert is in um, Springs, Texas, where uh, he just had an incredible storm came, came through. About what time, Bud? It came, it came through at 4 o'clock, and we've been without power since 4 o'clock this afternoon, and it just came back on. I mean, if y'all knew what I what we did is I drove up to the Walmart and got me an internet signal. And you asked the guys, I was shooting from inside my truck. Yes, and, he was. Uh, had it going on. My wife texted me and said, hey, the power just came back on. We had a tree down over a power line here by my house. And so uh, <clears throat> Joe had heck trying to get uh, – the Facebook or the uh, YouTube YouTube live yeah, uh, right. going. So I, I beat tr tracks back home here. I don't live but about four minutes from that Walmart. Uh, so I beat tracks back here at the house and here we are. Yeah, our goal was to go live on YouTube tonight. We announced right. it to everybody, but uh, man, when uh, I, I don't know if it's because of storms out there, because most of these major lines go through some of these towns. You don't know if storms has, have caused a problem or if just YouTube's tripping out. Uh, apologies to all you guys out there that tried to get on this evening, but now you're just going to be able to hear it fresh on a Tuesday, so right. we won't have to worry about that part of it, man. But I tell you, Gilbert, it was pretty cool to see you in your truck doing that and everything you know dedication dedication right there man oh let's cool. rock and roll we got some Wait, stuff and it's what's cool is technology's evolved to where you can make that happen off your you know i did that off my smartphone just uh you know having a a uh, hot spot connection there and ran my computer off my inverter that's in my f-250 ford truck and uh <laughs> little plug there for ford um, at the end of the day, uh, we were going to get it done, whether it hair lip the governor. Well, before we roll down, uh, start getting started, uh, Luis, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing well, guys. How about you? <laughs> I'm, uh, I, you know, I guess I kind of told you guys, uh, work has been crazy for the last, uh, couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it tonight again, but, uh, so happens that. I was able to crank it up and get it done and able that to up boy. So. Hey, shoot, man. We're proud I, of I you, know, man. I, yeah, no doubt. Cause I know three weeks ago, two weeks ago, we didn't know whether we were all going to have jobs, you know, right. Right. it's right. really been tough down here in the oil field community here in, uh, in Texas and surrounding areas from West Texas, New Mexico. I mean, everybody's feeling the pinch, but we start seeing a little light at the end of the tunnel. So, we hope this thing will turn around and we keep praying for our brothers and sisters that are man. on the bricks looking for something. And Chad, Absolutely. what's the Albuquerque update, man? Well, it's, uh, you know, daily grind, trying to get back in shape. And uh, er otherwise, everything's okay, you know. I, I can't really complain. You know, awesome. fantastic, Chad. Got good color, man. Look good. Well, Thank actually, you. I put his photograph up for um, – for the the last podcast man that we right. did and god dang man people chab what's up with you man you're just like a cult leader or something man people are like where's chab we love chab with you guys saying he's a rock star man i'm like exactly you know hardly say a word and he's a rock star hell of a lot more chab and less of us probably a good thing but you know what whenever he does say something it just it matters E F Hutton, like right? EF Hutton, it makes baby. a difference. Yeah, I don't know about impact. that. I just Merrill feel Lynch. I just feel on Forrest Gump. I'm in the right place at the right time. And yeah. <laughs> life is like a box hey. of chocolates. Just pure <laughs> wisdom. Pure hey. wisdom. 
dude, if if it's all about being the right place at the right time, well, I'll take it. <laughs> so, no doubt. Yeah, he's. Oh, you ought to see too on the uh, on the academy. We're putting it together. Special sections all through the academy is little spots that says words of wisdom, and it has Chav's picture right there, and it's called Chav's perspective on different points in there, man. And he's That's been cool. cranking out Chavisms. this stuff, and yeah. You've been working hard on that, Chav. Looks good, man. Thank you. Yeah, the, well, the, guys, whole thing's, the whole thing's looking good. Yeah, man, I can't wait to see it. I know you guys are hard at it all the time when we're doing our thing. You guys are doing yours, and it's good. It, I won't be surprised at all how good it's going to turn out because I've seen what you guys have done when y'all have had a little bit of time. So, uh, I mean, if you guys haven't seen our webpage, y'all need to go check it out. It's, it's impressive for cool. sure. Well, guys, you know what time it is. It's time for our Elk Bros shout-outs. Shout if you're new to our show, out. these are just shout-outs shout out. few cities with the most <laughs> listeners topping our charts this week. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Elk Bros shout-out to those grinders giving us reviews first. Old Madrid. I wish I knew where you were from, man. I don't think it's Madrid, Spain, so I mean, either it's a name <laughs> or it's a place, right? Joel from Germantown, Wisconsin. Joel knew how to do it right there. <laughs> and we have Marilyn Ken and our brother Zach Fisher in Pennsylvania. And buddy Zach is calling out for some more <laughs> Ornellis Unleashed. <laughs> well, look in the intro, you gotta y'all gotta know I pulled a fast one on Joe. So I mean we couldn't we couldn't air it, but I guarantee you if y'all check out the intro, you'll see something in there that uh, oh. there's a little line that I hit him with and man he had to stop all production I'm telling you it was yeah, yeah he deal, rocked so. the production tonight man we had to keep that off <laughs> so, well I had to yeah. kind of keep it light you know everybody was you know kind of <laughs> kind of charged up from not having real good technical uh you know advanced you know things going on for us here and so I figured I better break up the monotony and have it a little got bit of have a little it fun. got broke up <laughs> <laughs> it it hits sure you in the face just like a crappy mop, didn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly, boy. Joe's uh, reaction also, was like, Gilbert, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, I think my voice actually came out like that, huh? It sounded like one of them, uh, them daytime. Gilbert! <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a Muppet. <laughs> oh, also a huge welcome and thank you to our newest Elk Bros Patreon members, Michael Long and Jeffrey Evanson. Guys, thank you so much for helping us to keep the lights on and share our passion with others. So I'm going to start it out with the shout outs. Our top listening city. Now, guys, you're about to hear an incredible story. So put your elbows on your seat right there. Part of Washington's Tri-Cities metro area, our top listening city this week, sits on the west side of the Columbia River between the mouths of the Yakima and the Snake River. With that much water, you know there's going to be water sports. They host the annual hydroplane racing at the Water Follies event on the Columbia River, and it was a day in 1996 during this very same hydroplane event that the history of this area changed forever. Leave it up to two local college students. Will Thomas, then 21, and Dave, I believe that's D.C., uh, were trying to tube down the banks of the river to sneak into the racing event. Now, does this sound like college dudes, y'all? Mm -hmm. right? They done figured out how to get in right. here. So beer in hand, they waded into the water, and then Thomas stubbed his toe about 10 feet offshore. He says, hey, we have a human head, he joked. 
So he thrust his hand about a foot and a half underwater and grabbed what he felt was a big rock. But y'all, it wasn't a rock. It was, in fact, a human skull. Oh, yep. Wow. <laughs> wow. Thomas and DC believed they had found a victim of murder or suicide. During the search that ensued, a local anthropologist found almost a complete skeleton of what he figured to be a 100-year-old white man. After sending specimens off regarding for carbon dating, excuse me, the results came back and the Kennewick man was born. The skeleton was dated at 9,200 years old, what? making it the oldest nearly complete skeleton ever found in North America, right here where the Kennewick man was born in Kennewick, Washington. Wow, dude, that's one of the coolest ones we've had, Joe. Yeah, 9,200 years old. 9,200. And what was wow. amazing ab ab about this was the timing, because had this happened a month <clears throat> earlier or, or even a month later, this discovery would have never happened because what happened was the water of the Columbia had risen. They had some major flood stuff that came through and ate away at the shoreline, dislodging the skull and the bones to fall down into the water. Oh, and so it was above them. Yeah, it, it was it above and in. right. Mm. When it washed away, when that flood came through, it washed wow. it down. So it was sitting right on the bottom. I wonder These how much guys, sediment was sitting on top of them, you know, whether it was a know, couple of feet of sediment on top of it or what. That's wow. It, it, well, it was over on, you know, like it was in the shoreline, ended up on right. the bottom. The guy's wading out in the river. The, the funny part of the story was, I didn't tell it in the beginning, is that when, when Thomas found this skull, they were more interested in the girls during the race. So they went and stashed the skull in uh -huh. they, they, they stashed the skull in the brush until the event was over and then went back and got it, put it in a bucket, and took That's it to the local sheriff. Got to get your priorities right. <laughs> I mean, skeleton been there for 9,000 years. Yeah, they going care care for yeah, what's another, what's yeah. another six yeah. hours? Yeah. Yeah, what's you know? another six hours, man? It's been there <laughs> We're for 9,000 years. We'll go talk to some honeys up there on the bank. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and the thing was is one of the things was in the hip bone was a flint projectile spearhead from where he had actually been stabbed in the hip at some point. Huh. Wow, man. Yeah. Okay, yeah. man, he got speared with a flint. Wow. Uh, wow. It, yeah, unbelievable. There That's was wild. a lot of controversy that went along with this. If you guys are interested, look up the Kennewick man because it led a 20-year controversy between science and the Native American community that was really, really cool to read out. about and listen, man. So, yeah. You bet you. How about that, man? Awesome. <clears throat> Pretty cool. All right, man. Chosen to become the permanent state capital in 1805. With a population under 8,000 residents, it is the smallest capital city in the United States. In fact, it is the only state capital without a McDonald's. So for those of <laughs> you in need of a Big Mac, uh, they would have to drive almost five miles away to get one. So. But uh, what they do have here is so incredible. Um, they... Cov the, they have covered bridges in and around the area 
which is a photographer's dream. And the ma maple syrup produced here is breakfast and candy stick gold. And for you elk hunters wanting to get in shape, here's a challenge for you. Go hike the 12-mile camel's hump. And if someone asks why the heck you did it, tell them the Elks Bros sent you. Elk Bros sent you. That's right. Buddy. Uh, and Montpellier, Vermont. How do you how do you say that word? Montpellier. Montpellier. I, Montpellier. I, I, I was like Montpellier, and he's like, <laughs> good enough to me, Joe. Montpellier. 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 He, 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 you know, proceeded to tell me it's French, Joe Montpellier. <laughs> I was like, well, well excusez-moi. Yeah. <laughs> Je ne parle pas français parce que c'est très difficile. Jean parle eh? ton agiquen à la hade. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Chad, oh, you're up yeah. next. Let's stop the monotony. Okay, I was going to say uh, in uh, in the Andy Griffin show, they called it Montpellier. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. There you go. Okay, up next, our next top listening city is located in Idaho's Treasure Valley, a small town but only 45 minutes from downtown Boise. It is known for its golf courses, spas, and green spaces like Riverside Eagle Island State Park with hiking trails, a swimming beach, and a zip line course. Here's the coolest part about this Idaho town. It is still one of those places where people wave look you in the eye, give a tip of their hat, and say hello, even though they don't know you. You can still find friendly. Oh, and if you are into something different, you can drive towards Boise and stay in a giant potato turned into a hotel. In <laughs> they have Eagle, Idaho. Eagle, Eagle Idaho. Idaho. Wow. Eagle, man. <laughs> I mean, that's something that I find so cool is, you know, that, that kind of courtesy, right? I mean, people mm -hmm. just... Right. Uh, you know, being able to wave and say hello and, and you know, the tip of the hat. And, and uh, you know, we, we work, we, I guess, Gilbert, you and I have worked in remote places where you're kind of driving by small towns and stuff like that. And, and cars that drive by their vehicle, you know, they, they wave, even though exactly. they don't know who you are. They have no idea. I mean, you wave from vehicle to vehicle. Yep. I, I just find that such a cool courtesy stuff. You Absolutely, know? Just, man. And, um, you know, you hear about Southern we hospitality. We know more of that. You know, you hear about that Southern hospitality, but I tell you out in the West, man, you know, it's, uh, people take care of each other. Yeah. I, man, I'm telling you, I've, <clears throat> you know, this past elk season when I broke down up there, uh, by that little old town, I was like yep. on edge. Heck, ain't nobody <laughs> wanted to bother me. They just wanted to help me. You know, and when they come yep. rolling up on you in the dark, dark night where I'm from, that's bad. You know, <laughs> that, that, that could be bad. <laughs> not there those people just want to know what the heck he's doing in their town uh, you know, something that is if is was, getting lost and yeah it shouldn't you know we, we no need doubt. more of that no nowadays doubt. and i right. agree exactly well, next up guys it's as western as it gets with this hard history okay <clears throat> surrounded by incredible mountains and outdoor paradise the town is named for a notorious western trail promoter that created a dangerous shortcut off the Oregon Trail for white settlers traveling through Wyoming and Idaho to Montana gold camps. The trail became the focus of native warriors not too happy with the intrusion into their lands, and the trail was shut down after infamous 
Fetterman, after the infamous Fetterman massacre, one of the worst military disasters ever suffered by the United States Army on the Great Plains. Today, this jumping off spot to Yellowstone is known for world-renowned fly fishing, dramatic mountains for hiking, mountain biking, rock climbing, skiing and hunting, and backpacking uh, in the backcountry exploring in none other than Bozeman, Montana. Bozeman, Bozeman Montana. You know, when I hear Bozeman, Montana, I just think elk, man. You know, yes. I mean, immediately. I mean, yeah, I know so many elk hunters that come out of Bozeman, and it's a jumping yeah. off spot right there. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and how it came about off the Oregon Trail and who it's named after. Because Bozeman, yeah. the guy that it's named after, he was such a hard dude. A lot of people, they almost changed the name from to something else because they didn't like the guy so much, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I've been in Montana several times and it's one of, it's a really beautiful state. And, uh, but there's, it's like, there's nobody there. You know, uh, I, like I told you guys, I had to call my mama cause I thought the rapture, I, I was on the road, you know, and I didn't see nobody for 200 miles on the freeway. I'm like, right. what in the world is going on here? Right. But yes. I'm going to tell you some breathtaking views. Um, I've always wanted to whitetail hunt the milk river there in Montana. And, uh, I know that there's grizzly bears up there too. So, right. But I'm yeah. sure they get, they get along with everybody. So, <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Right. Uh, before its current name, it has been known as Bloomington, Newburgh and Casey's Landing. Its current name translates from area tribes to mean fiery nation. Nestled on the banks of the Mississippi River, along the only place where the North-South River runs east to west, our next top listening city has been called the Pearl of the Mississippi, in reference to pearl button manufacturing that was once the central economic focus of the city. But it is also nearly as well known as the watermelon capital of the world, and most noted for the melon named after the city, Muscatine Melon. Uh, so big shout out to Muscatine, Iowa. Muscatine, Muscatine Iowa, Iowa, man. I want a melon, y'all. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. watermelon, man. I do too. Oh Good. my One God. One of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that I've ever had a Muscatine melon, but that's kind of like the Trappistine Nuns caramels, you know? We're going to have to. Joe, where was that from? Dubuque, Iowa? Is that Dubuque, where the Trappistine? Iowa, I think, Dubuque, yeah. Dubuque, I got a text today from a coach at a college in Dubuque, Iowa. Really? And we had we had a conference. Yes, they're recruiting one of our players. We had uh -huh. a conversation about the nuns' trappistine caramels. Are you so serious? So that was pretty cool. She's like, how do you know about the nuns' trappistine caramels? Right? Well, let me so, tell you, lady, we're up and cool. up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she said, right, well, my guys, husband's listen. a big hunter. He, he, he'll want to listen to y'all's podcast. So uh, I sent her all the information. Oh, uh, Cool, man. Hope yeah. to have him on, man. No so let's jump into today's topic. And um, this is something that you guys didn't know is how today's topics came about. But it was inspired by a story sent to me from Chad Hashin. I don't know if you guys remember, but Chad Hashin um, we had actually talked about him podcasts ago because he is one of our grinders that was successful this last season after uh, 
after listening to the show and going out on his first elk hunt and getting it done. Remember, I, he sent me a pin and everything yeah, like that? Yeah. yeah. So he, I had asked Chad to send me a story, and the story titled Finding the Fire will be posted on our Elk Bros website this week. Chad's story, guys, that he, he wrote without giving away too much this story was really something that, that got to me. And I was thinking about doing a certain theme for tonight, and this took me in a totally different direction. So in his story, he talks about, without giving it away and everything there, he talks about listening and being inspired by his grandpa's hunting stories as a kid. And then about a tragedy that had really changed his life and and I mean in so so many ways his journey then how he's been trying to find himself the emptiness that he has found along in that journey and that search for his reconnection trying to connect back with the things that really was his passion but because of the tragedy that happened in his life, it really disconnected him from that. So he decides to try his hand at bow hunting elk, and he finds this podcast by these guys that had about 10 episodes. Those guys were the elk bros, y'all. <laughs> and uh, cool. I can remember getting the GPS pin popping up on my phone and the message from Chad's inReach the morning of September 21st, and the message came in, Bull down, brother. <laughs> and at wow. that point, yeah, man, I mean, I was pumped. I was stoked, man. I, I tried calling him right away, and I couldn't get him. Um, I mean, I was just so happy and pumped for Chad because getting it done on his first elk hunt. Um, but I'm not sure if y'all remember Paul Harvey and the rest of the yeah. story. And the rest of the story. Yeah, that's mm. the rest of the story. Well, at this point, I'm so – Have a good so, day. Yeah, have a good day. Yeah. Uh, I'm so pumped for Chad as a successful elk hunter having an incredible experience that I, it wasn't until I read his story that I really got to know and understand him on a whole different level. How what he did was more than about a hunt. Chad had found something more. So the inspiration for tonight's show, y'all, like so many people, there's so many stories out there. And unless you're a part of this fraternity, guys like ourselves, gals like ourselves, it's hard for people to really understand how hunting elk in so many ways can be a, so much more to us. It's hard to explain that, how it can change your life, like you said before, Gilbert, how it can bring it into focus or it can hit you in the face with a crappy mop, right? Yeah. So um, I have a little uh, a surprise for, for this because it, with this story, I wanted to bring in Chad and, um, and I wanted y'all to meet him. Hey, Chad. Welcome, man. Good to hey. see you. The Thank man, you, the myth, Way the cool. legend, Chad Ashen. What's up, my brother? <laughs> Hey, Gilbert. Nice to see you, man. Hey, Chad. Hey, Chav. Nice to see you as well. Nice to see you. Welcome, Chad, man. Thank Good you, guys. You, Thank you. That is too yeah. cool, Joe. He didn't tell us nothing about this, bro. <laughs> nope. I'm telling you, he just sprung <laughs> it on us. 
Like, yeah, I, like I've said many times, you know, I kind of, I kind of cut him there in the front part of this deal with our <laughs> intro, but uh, now he's, he's one up me, man. He's always <laughs> trying to out Waterburger me, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've, we, um, we've been trying so many firsts on the show. Um, you, we've had, first we had all four of us together, um, all the Elk Bros. We had all five of us with Manano on here. We, yeah. We've done the live. We tried to do the live tonight. And I was really hoping because Chad would have actually, he was, he was on our live YouTube last week. Weren't you Chad? Yes, Yes, I was. Yep. Yeah. And I, it was so cool that he would have been on tonight on the chat and then coming on live with us uh, as our guest and pulling us in. But I, I really, Chad, I, I wanted to thank you number one for the story because, uh, you and I have talked quite a bit and, uh, you're not very much like Joe Gillia. <laughs> in other words, you're you're not a big talker. You're kind of along the lines of old Chab Chavez back there, right? So, <laughs> I I thought um, you putting yourself out uh, on with this story was pretty special because um, you ha- it has been a journey for you, hasn't it, bud? Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. And um, I mean, writing the story, I it was part of, you know, it's helped me personally because it's not something I talk about a lot, being able to get some of those emotions and feelings out and share it with people like you guys that kind of understand, you know, what, what the, the things mentally and physically and then, you know, just everything that goes into hunting an animal like an elk, what that does for you personally, the growth and all that. And I'm, I mean, I couldn't have, uh, don't feel like I could have shared that stuff with a better group of people, honestly. So I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to read it. Um, you know, it wasn't a short story by any means. Um, so thank you for taking the time to, to read it and uh, get back to me. I mean, I really appreciate that. Oh man. What an honor to have you here. And the, the guys haven't seen it yet. I've been, I've kept it from everybody because they're going to see it when it comes out on the site with the photos and stuff. Um, you guys saw some of the photos that, uh, was yeah. it yours that, yes. that had the bees eating in on the meat, yes. right? Yeah. 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 We saw the pictures. Yeah. For was, sure. and, Congrats and, again, dude. <laughs> thank you, Gilbert. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And for a lot of people that, um, haven't, uh, hunted out West and hunted elk and that don't know about, um, those, Yellow jackets. <laughs> hmm. They inspired us this year to get us a tent that's got a screen around it, brother. Oh, man. So we could just do our butchering in a place where we ain't bothered. The, you know? the, the yellow jackets. You had something similar uh, last last uh, last year for in our camp uh, for I the said. kitchen what, area, right? That's what it said. I said yeah, it, it, it spurred our, you know, us into figuring out those yellow jackets spurred us into making an adjustment in our camp. Oh, that's certainly a must. Yeah, it, was, it was fast. I think the the yellow jackets were actually on the bull before I got up to them. I mean, it was probably within twenty minutes they were on him and oh, starting wow. to, to yeah, get to Yeah, they're pretty them. quick. Yeah. And, and they will drill holes into the meat like fast, mm. man. I don't know yeah. if you remember Joe when we, you know, after we left your bull and came back to camp, and got everybody loaded up, to come back. Those 
rascals were already on him around his nose and eyes. Oh, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was and the thing about them is, is they don't back down. They, they're, oh, they're a, you know what, uh, they're a half inch long and they act like they're six foot, 300 pounds. They, <laughs> yeah, they pack, long, they pack a gnarly punch too. You know? I'm, <laughs> and I'm allergic to them. So I got to have me some <clears> Benadryl <throat> in my pack to make sure that if I get popped by one of them, I can handle it. You know, yep. the thing yeah. with them is they can keep stinging you. They don't leave a stinger. They can just keep knocking, you know, putting that they venom They just keep biting you. on you, man. They cut yeah. into you. Yeah, they just Absolutely. bite like that. So going back to the story uh, that, that Chad wrote, um, like Chad said, it's it's not a short story. And, and thank God it's not because it gives you the full spectrum. And like I said, when I first got to know Chad and his success, I saw him on one level. And when I read this story and the story – I mean, it starts off as him as a kid, listening to his grandpa, to uh, things that happened in his uh, in his early twenties, right, Chad? It was yep, early, 20s. correct. And and how that um, led him on, you know, a, a tough road of trying to really figure some things out. Am I right, bud? Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, I moved around a bunch after the accident. I don't know how much detail you necessarily want to go into about the story um but there was a tragic loss of life um it was people close to me and after that happened uh, I felt responsible for it too um the three of us were together and I was the only one that, that didn't pass from the accident and so trying to get back to the things that I felt were normal took a long time. I mean, I would force myself to go through the motions, I guess, but not really enjoy things. And I knew something was missing. I couldn't really put my finger on what it was, but um, I think I've, I've, now that I've found elk hunting and Western hunting and bow hunting, like I have now, I feel like I've, I found what I was looking for without really knowing what it was that I was searching for. And, and, and why do you <laughs> think that is Chad? Um, I think it's it's something that I can focus on and work for year round, even though the season's only a month long. Um, I also have always taken pride in being slightly different than a lot of people around me, and I don't know a whole lot of people that elk hunt. A lot of people that I did know um, or that I do know, I, I have uh, some relatives and stuff that have gone on some guided elk hunts out West and haven't had a whole lot of success. I had one uncle tell me that hunting elk with a bow was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So little things like that to be able to have success and prove them wrong is also a little bit of motivation for me, you know, throughout the year. <clears throat> and I honestly feel like pursuing elk is something that's going to make me a better person day in and day out. I'm going to work to be healthier. I'm going to, you know, work to have more discipline in my schedule just things like that. Just try to be a better person so that I can put my best foot forward when I am in the Elk Woods. And uh, if if I may, guys, um, Chad, I, I can't thank you enough for opening up this way, especially with us. Uh, I, I am 100% sure that all of us here in this group right now can completely relate to a lot of what you're saying, because in one way or another, we have been through kind of what you're going through, you went through and you feel the same way about the hunt that we do. Um, you, you're in elk camp with us right now because this is, 
you know, believe it or not, these conversations take place in L camp too. And Absolutely. that's how our brotherhood gets, gets this strong because in our bond. we've come, we've come to a level of knowing each other in, in ways that, you know, you don't get to share with a lot of people and yeah. you share passions, you share difficulties, you share struggles. And, and the cool thing about what I feel blessed about our L camp is that all of us are in to help each other out and all of us understand what our struggles are and all of us are trying to support each other and trying to work through those issues. But what you're saying is so true and so bang on and so elo eloquently said that uh, it just touches, you know, a lot of buttons in, in, in my soul as far as how I felt um, out on the woods hunting and, and the personal challenges and the growth and struggles that we still go through right i mean because i mean it's it's a it's a constant it's a constant battle of becoming a better person and 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 getting through the difficulties of what life has have given us so thank you so much man because i i you know i, I can truly appreciate everything that you're saying well i i honestly have to thank you guys because you guys are you know i feel like you guys also preach this message and that's why I related to you know what you guys were putting out there from the very beginning I could just tell that you were the right kind of guys you know these were the dudes that I was gonna get advice from and try to do it the way they were doing it so thank you oh, Chad, no, was, it, Chad, was it your first elk that you took uh this was your first elk that you took with a bow this yes past sir year? yep how, how, so how old are you brother uh 37 37 yeah. Well, I started when I was 40. I wished I'd have started when I was 37. I'd just be three <laughs> years, you know, three years more awesome, right? But uh, I started when I was 40, and, um, man, I didn't have no business doing it. I can tell you that straight up. But, uh, you know, I weighed about 340, 330 pounds. I mean, you know, and hunting where we hunt, I'm going to tell you straight up, brother, you ain't got no business being in the mountains. <laughs> I mean, look – I could dumb into something and probably do okay because I'm a pretty decent archer. Right. But, uh, at the end of the day, man, I, it, it changed my life for s several different reasons, but everybody that I've been associated with on this podcast and in our elk camp have all had something broken inside of them. Right. And, uh, and I'm telling you whether it's a relationship with your parent or whether it's a relationship with your wife or whether you've, had a sibling pass or something like you've been through that's been a really uh, spiritual awakening and something where you've got to dig deep just to want to open your eyes tomorrow, right? At, at the end of the day, I tell people all the time, this is this will change your life. It is spiritual. But, you know, my wife teases the crap out of me. Is all you guys do is just sit up there on the mountain and cry and hug one another and everything? A little broke back mountain going on up there? Or what? Uh, at the end of the day, I tell her, no, that's not it. But it is about filling that void that, you know, we've had things happen to us in our life that even our wives can't fix. Hard to believe. But at the end of the day, it's our brothers uh, like Chav. I mean, so many days I've got to spend in the woods with Chav, the voice of wisdom right uh and look these guys took me under their wing brother I, you know it and i really didn't feel like it, it, it went at first it was because i paid them or anything like that i mean these guys are true friends you know and it wouldn't matter if i drew an elk tag or not i'm coming to elk camp i don't give a dang for their lips the governor you know uh, <laughs> at the end of the day i'm coming to elk camp 
you know. We did it yeah. a couple of years well, yeah, ago. Yeah, we did it a couple of years ago. Nobody drew. Chad, Chad and, uh, and uh, uh, Joe had the tag, and we decided to come. Got bear tags and, you know, whatever else. Turkey we could tag. Turkey. Yeah. I killed a turkey. First killed time I ever killed a turkey with a bow. <laughs> so we made, you know, we made lemonade out of, you know, with lemons, no doubt. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we had such got, a good time. Yeah, such we a had an unbelievable time. We had great food. I mean, when you hang out with the, the Venezuelan mafia, you're going to get fat on the mountain. I'm going to tell you straight up. Uh, and I'm all about that. That comfort food fits me just fine. So It's mainly you know, Manano. Manano is the, is the master chef. I try to sure. lose 30 or 40 pounds before I get on the mountain because I'm going to gain it right back. Uh, I have a... I have a perversion with food, I think, or something, man. So this is how I, I can... when the first time we went out there, Manano didn't go. And uh, I actually lost 11 pounds on my first trip there. Then so he came the back second, fat the next year. So the second time I was like, Mm-mm, screw this. I'm bringing Manano over. So we brought Manano over and now I gain a pound when I, you know, after, <laughs> after my trip. Do you have a group of guys that you hunt with, Chad? Uh, not elk hunting currently. No, most of my buddies back here, are, they're Eastern deer hunters and waterfowlers. So they're not, if they've got to go more than 200 yards, they're usually jumping on a four wheeler. So. And you know, he's, <laughs> he's going through the same thing that I, I have so many guys that listen to our show that contact us and they're like, you know, I want what y'all have, you know, and we're working uh, on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. And, but the, the the thing like I told Chad and like I've told Mike and like I've told uh uh Jason and, and a lot of guys out there is that you know what you do is like I told people when you're out there hunting uh and you come across people out in the woods, you go up and you talk to people. Um you talk to people in their camps. But a lot of times you end up meeting people while you're out in the field that are so like-minded like you, or you start like, <laughs> I told him, you know, you, if, if you're, you could even stalk some of the guys that are listening to our show, man, and you kind of, kind of get a feel for what they're like and just throw them a DM and say, Hey, I, you know, you're hunting by yourself. You're heading out here and just start heading a conversation because People that are, it's, it's kind of like I tell people when, when you are trying to find all of the right things by listening to all these different podcasts, what you do is you listen for the similar things, right? And there's a lot of people that listen to the show for a lot of the same reasons. Some guys just want to learn how to kill an elk. Some guys, they really connect with uh, the, the brotherhood. Some people, you know, connect with that type of rapport, the feeling and the different things that, that come out that you can genuinely feel these are guys that I genuinely love and that I love spending time with. You know, you're, you got, uh, one guy right there that's, uh, still in a bed and, uh, um, he is right now Just trying to get cancer's back. ass with a broom. I ain't lying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Chav, I mean, what, what you've been going through in the focus you know, we, this whole thing is about the way that elk hunting changes your life or changes you as a person or what you find out about yourself. You know, why for you, bud, is is that grind? I mean, you're focused. You're, you're hitting it, and you're doing all that you can so that you can get back up in the hills, man. And why is that? What is it that is so special about getting up there in the mountains? Well, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to define, but uh, it's just the spirit 
out there, you know, it, you know, you get away from the daily grind of the, of the city and, and, you know, we live in a pretty uh, rural area ourselves, you and I, but still getting out there, you know, it's, uh, you're closer to God, it seems like. Amen. And I know, and I know now with, uh, the, our hunting partners, uh, you know, I look forward to that five, 10 days that we're together and, uh, you know, they make it extra special. So, uh, you know, that's my motivation because there's days where I just don't feel like getting mm. out of bed, but I know, mm-hmm. you know, I've got to make the days count and, uh, you know, we'll see what, how it turns out. But, uh, like, uh, Chad said earlier, you know, you got something to focus on, even though it's only a, a, a 10 day period or a five day period, uh, you're working towards that, towards that end, you know, where you can actually get out there. There's nothing like getting up early, early in the morning, you know, seeing the dew and on, on the grass and then hearing a, a bull bugle. It's just something so surreal. It's just amazing. You know, I look forward to here, you know, so we'll see how it goes. And, and, uh, Chad, thank you for sharing your story. And, uh, you know, I think we all have similar stories like that. You know, you know, at times we kind of forget, but in the back of our minds, it's always there, but, you know, keep grinding. You know, that's what it's all about. You know, you know, make something, Make uh, uh, lemonade out of lemons, as Joe would say. Exactly. <laughs> Chad, did you, uh, what, what brought you to elk hunting altogether? I mean, you being from east, out east, what brought <clears throat> you to elk hunting altogether? Um, actually, I was born in um, Grand Junction, Colorado. Oh, wow. Half well, of my that's... family's still out in southwest Colorado. So I've, that part of the family always had been around mule deer hunting and elk hunting and stuff growing up. And I just, being a young kid, we would spend summers out there, but I never got a chance to be there during hunting season before my grandfather passed. So, Where's home now? Something. What's that? Where's home now? Uh, I currently live in Maryland, in Eastern Maryland. Um, so that's a far cry from Bay. Yeah. That's, a, that's a far cry from Colorado, brother. Yeah, last year I was living in North Dakota, though, so when, when I oh. killed the elk, I was driving down from Bismarck, North Dakota, to Colorado to hunt. That's not bad. the area very well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Luis and I both spent some time up there in North Dakota, brother, working in the oil patch. Oh, yeah. There was a point that Chad brought up earlier about how it has, and the ways it has changed him. And, And what you mentioned is something that there's not a single person on here tonight that doesn't feel that same thing that, well, I've got to, I've got to get in shape. You know, uh, I got to do better about how I eat. I got to do better about my practice. I got to do better on preparing my body, my mind. I mean, it, it's because what's so cool about the elk hunt is there's no enabling. There's no awards. There's no uh, excuses. It's you and what you do and what you don't do. You can, you know, we did a piece on no excuse elk hunting. You make all the excuses in the world, but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, if you're that lion that has to eat and you don't kill it, you ain't eating, you know? And if if you don't prepare yourself in that amount of time to get there and you show up and you're not able to go, that is nobody's fault but your own. And I think that's, you know, uh, 
Luis, you know, there Luis, the first year I met Luis, um, man, I tell you what, he just blew me away and just, uh, incredible attitude, positive him and Manano both are just incredible human beings. Um, they suck about everything else, but they're great human oh, beings. Right? You go. I love you, brother. I love you, brother. <laughs> but, you can't wear your feelings on your sleeve around here, Chad. I'm going to tell you right now. And the, the next year, um, when he came back to Elk Camp, I mean, he man, he had so many great encounters. Well, the next year when he came, he wasn't as in a good a shape as he was that first year. And I don't know. I, I, I wasn't, I, and I wasn't in a very good shape the first year either. So <laughs> I was in even worse shape. The Maybe same Joe year. was in bad shape. Who knows? Man? He'll never admit it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I made a, you know how, you know how we are camp. I made a little comment or something like that. And, and I mean, dude, this guy, like, like what he called me out you know he's like (laughs) but instead of instead of crying and like oh joe julia sucks and all the hunt it was all these excuses dude the following year man i mean we're getting all this stuff about how he's running and how he's doing this and i mean he went down to fighter weight you know i mean seriously (laughs) and uh it, it, he showed up in incredible shape, you know, yeah. and I mean, the same thing with Gilbert. The first time I met Gilbert, he's three and a quarter, you know, yeah. maybe a little more than that. And, yeah. you know, and he's like, Joe, I want to hunt with you. I'm like, bro, it ain't going to do any good for you to hunt with me, man. And we had a conversation about that. And you know what? The conversation with Gilbert, yeah, it might have been a little bit about elk hunting, but it, if you know, I, there is not. Uh, a man on this group and, and I'm not including me in this because I'm looking at these people out there and Manano included. And I hope Manano hears this, that these are incredible fathers here. I mean, I have never seen better fathers and, you know, uh, Gilbert's kids, you know, Logan and Lacey, you know, and, and uh, Chav, my niece is like my daughter, you know, and, uh, uh, you see pictures of uh, Luis with Sophia, and now, man, Sabrina's coming up, man. I mean, Absolutely. it's not going to be long. And and the things that they do and what they share with their kids, well, what I told Gilbert was this guy was on CPAP. He was on all kinds of medication. And I was like, dude, man, you know, I thought you loved your kids, you know. And he's like, dude, I love my kids more than anything. And I'm like, you ain't going to be there to see them grow old, man. You know? He was right. He was 100% right. You know, kind of like my wife. I don't like it when she's right, but dadgummit, she's right 90% of the time. Yeah. Joe was, you know, yeah. and it hit me in the face like a crappy mop, you know. Uh, and I'm telling you, I come back home and I said, all right, uh, ain't nobody going to talk to me like that, right? So I'm that kind of guy. All my coaches I had needed to hit me over the head with a two before to get me to budge because I'm a little hard-headed. But at the end of the day, Man, once you get me going in that mode, it's pretty cool. So show back little up is to, a bit of an understatement, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we get the point. I show back up to Elk Camp at about two sixty, two seventy. Um, I'm about two sixty eight right now. So you know, I'll be, I, I want to be around two forty when I get to Elk Camp. So we got some work to do, but it ain't nothing that I'm not. Doing I got a hundred bucks in a scale that says you don't have it, man. Man, get that C note ready, Joe. <laughs> you can leave that scale at home, but you can bring that C note with you. <laughs> I have a hundred bucks in the scale that he 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 won't 
lose any weight at camp. No, I know oh, that yeah. one. I, I, I ain't, ain't that'll betting you. I ain't betting you because that'll happen. Manano gets that food rate going and everything, man. And he food no rate. means no, and he just keeps piling it on your plate, and you're like, oh, no, he's, no he's, means no. <laughs> he's like that bipolar grandma, man. Just keeps saying, "You got to eat more. You got to eat more." Right? No he's doubt. just like, <laughs> yeah. So, no, Chad, I'm, did you, Chad, did you kill your bull in Colorado? Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah, I did. Public land, yep. huh? Yep, it was it was an over the counter unit, and uh, this year it went to draw. But that's so. Oh, I got it. I got the inReach pin, September twenty first at nine forty five in the morning, man. And uh, he had gotten it done. I hey, bet Chad, you can any, replay every second of it in your and, mind. And too. and that's exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. Did you oh, mind yeah. sharing with us those moments? I mean, yeah. and because one of the things you know we're talking about, what is it? What is it about? the the hunt you know and chat and chav hit it on the dot there as far as that spiritual connection uh you know just be, you know disconnecting unplugging from the real world uh for a while and and just the smell of the of the nature and the mighty of all these animals and and just just being out in the woods i, I definitely love all of that but also the thrill of that encounter of that opportunity when it presents itself of being so close to these animals, um, that, that just, it's, it, it, in, at least in my experience, it just, it, I can't even breathe at times, you know, and, and, and that's, and that emotion is imprints memories in my head that just so vividly I can relive time over, uh, over and over in time. And, just building those memories and also the memories at camp, the conversations like this that take place at camp that makes us feel more human. Um, so those are the things that kind of drive me. But, you know, because of the feeling of when I take a shot or when I have an opportunity to, when I have an encounter, because of what I feel, that's why I'm asking you, what, what did you feel? What, what yeah, was lay it the about story that moment? Homes, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know how it went give us, down. Give us details. Don't give us leave details. nothing out too. <laughs> well, we, want, we want the whole thing, man. I'm kind of like a bunch of boys talking about a girl. Come on with it. <laughs> well, I had a, a few encounters before I actually got a shot off. And each time that I got within range of a bull and drew back, kind of like what you're saying. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. Like I had probably just got done running the last few hundred yards to get into position, you know, and trying to find somewhere to hide. Am I going to put my decoy aggressive. out? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I get drawn back on these previous bulls before the one I harvested and every single one of them, he would get to the edge of the cover. I was waiting for him to clear and his head would turn and look in my direction. He would freeze just his, nose and snout would be past the brush and there I'd be at full draw no shot and you know after 90 seconds or whatever I'd have to let down and he'd wander off <clears throat> and that happened two or three times and there was actually one bull that I chased for like five days in a row a pretty decent six point that I kept having encounters with almost every day and so the the morning where I actually harvested my elk I had went into a, an area that I hadn't hunted um, for about 10 days. So I was out there for 17 days actually hunting before I, wow. I harvested this elk. A die hard, wow. man. <laughs> wow. And um, I went back up into this area, had kind of worked the edge of some drainages calling that morning. 
I hadn't heard really anything that I could confirm was an elk. I hadn't even seen any elk that morning, but I had seen fresh tracks from another hunter. So I was a little uh, discouraged that maybe there had been some pressure in there the day before. So I'd kind of made my way around the area that I was planning on hunting that morning and was thinking about going back to my truck and maybe going to a different spot because I hadn't really had much luck. And I, I kind of did another, what I call a Joe Gillia party where I just make a bunch of noise. I try to sound like some cows and maybe try to sound like a couple different bulls getting aggressive with one another, just making it sound like there was something going on when I was the only one up there. And I stood around for probably five or 10 minutes waiting and listening, wasn't really hearing anything. And I was like, man, guess I'm going to have to head back down the trail. And almost immediately after I thought that, I heard a loud snap behind me over my left shoulder. And as I started to turn, hooves were thundering the other, dire- other direction, like he started trotting away. <laughs> and I caught the antlers as I turned around. I could see his last time sweeping back. And in Colorado, you guys probably know, it has to be a, a four-point bull in the over-the-counter right. units to be legal. So that's what I had been waiting for. You know, I was going to take the first legal bull I had a good shot at. And uh, he goes behind some oak brush, and I immediately just start cow calling. I had the cow, the the reed in my mouth, so I started calling almost instinctively. I didn't, I was like, I don't know what to do. I got to try to slow him down. So I started cow calling. He got behind some oak brush, uh, was kind of glancing through it. I grabbed an arrow out of my quiver and knocked it. And when I did that, I saw that that arrow was one that I had shot at a bear the previous evening and it was kind of messed up. So I had to grab that one off and oh. throw it on the ground. <laughs> and then I, I knocked another <sighs> arrow. Chav, this sounds like you, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> clipped up my release after knocking the second arrow. And uh, after I clipped my release, I realized that my sight wasn't set. I had a single pin adjustable sight on my bow at the time last season, and I had taken a spill on my way in that morning, and it had reset (laughs) past the zero yardage limit. So I was like, well, I can't do a holdover when I don't even know what my pin's set at. So I had to unclip my release. And this whole time, this bull's just staring at me through the oak brush, and I'm continuing (laughs) to cow call. I'm like, I can't believe this thing's not running away, but I have to do this if I'm going to shoot. So I cranked the dial up to 50 because I had ranged the bush as he was kind of wake, making his way around before I uh, knocked that arrow, the first arrow, and cranked the dial up to 50. And he um, started coming to the edge where he was going to step out into a clearing and his whole body was going to be exposed. And I, I mean, I honestly thought he was going to freeze like the other bulls had done previously. But I, I drew back and waited and he kept coming. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. And he stepped out completely. His whole body was exposed. The The brush was covering up his legs from about his belly down, but I could see his whole body. So I picked the spot, you know, right there, three, four inches behind the crease and let that it fly. Boy. <laughs> <clears throat> I didn't see the arrow, but I did hear a, a light thump, thump. And, um, Saw the elk kind of take off. I kept cow calling after I shot. He probably went about 60 or 70 yards and put his head down briefly. And then went another 30 yards and I saw him lay down in some aspens. And I, you know, I'm shaking. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So I told myself I had to sit down and give it like a half hour, right? That's what I told myself. But it probably wasn't 10 minutes and I was up looking for my arrow. (laughs) And uh, found... 
never found my arrow, but I found a small speck of blood on just a dead log. <clears throat> it took me a while to find any other blood, but I kind of just started working my way back and forth in the direction that he headed in. Found some more blood on the, the brush and grass that was a little bit higher, about the height of his belly. Followed that for, it was not even 100 yards, I don't think, and that's where he was laying down in some aspens. Wow. And complete pass through. So it, it was awesome. I took a few pictures in a haste and a video as I walked up to him. I, for some reason, my phone didn't save the video, and the that's pictures awesome. aren't that great because I got overwhelmed and wanted to start breaking him down. But it was it was amazing. I, you know, every, all 17 days, the experience was awesome. I, I saw bears almost every day I was out. I'd never seen a bear before the trip. I'd never heard an elk bugle before then. So all this stuff was new and to be able to come out of there with heavy pack was amazing. It was awesome. Coming out heavy. Absolutely, man. And you know, that's, I, I remember you saying something like, guys, I don't know if you remember, but he had, he had written things on his veins what was that all about chad actually i had uh my grandfather's nickname dutch was on one arrow i had um my buddies that i lost in the accident their initials were on another arrow i had some other friends that were injured in north dakota that had planned a, an older buddy of mine he wanted to go elk hunting he got hurt and couldn't go i wrote his initials on one that i had your guys's initials on one and it was just for motivation um you know i'd get tired or start wanting to give up and go back to the truck or whatever. And I just look down and think like, Oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a little bit more. So it was I just something was to remind me to keep going. Cool. Very cool to kind of, it's a very, I don't know, great way to keep your spiritual connection with your hunt. And, and that, that, you know, I, I thought when I saw the pictures and Joe shared them with us, I was like, man, that's, so freaking awesome he you know, basically it's, uh, it's, he, he basically took his crew with him he yeah yeah he did he did have his group with him and yeah. and yeah in you know we do that a lot of times we talk about carl all the time how he's hunting mm -hmm. with us and and uh that was way cool uh chad and you know um your whole journey i i'm excited for people to read the story uh i'm excited to see you on your journey from here um, and, uh, man, uh, welcome to elk bros. That's all I can tell you, man. I mean, elk camp, I, I hope you felt like you were here with us. Uh, and I hope you, you know, feel like part of this group right here, just being with us right now, because buddy, I mean, uh, you fit right in perfectly with us. Absolutely. I appreciate that, Joe. And I do, man, that's, like I said earlier, that's one reason why I've kind of, I listened to you. I listen to you guys' podcast Tuesday morning, drinking coffee. I'm usually done before, you know, you post about it on Instagram that morning. It's a routine. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm in camp when I'm listening and, you know, you guys talking about being coaches. It's obvious that you're, you want to see other people be successful. You know, that's Absolutely. something that I really appreciate too. So I can't thank you guys enough. You bet you, man. Um, hey, man. And I was going to say, you know, you got our emails and you have our contact informations, uh, you know. In touch. Please know you can always, yeah, please know you can always reach out to us. You know, awesome. I don't have much to teach, but hey, you know, I make a lot of fun of Manano and I make people laugh <laughs> doing that. So, uh, you know, I'm in for a good laugh and uh, any conversation. So it's uh, anything I can ever help. And, you know, I'm sure we're all more than glad to to help out.
and we'll learn Absolutely. together. And, that, and that's one thing that, uh, you know, I hope a lot of people get from that is, is, is Chad, you know, he would email or, and I called him a few times and, um, you know, guy, uh, you got responses immediately pretty much, you know, from, oh, yeah. from yep. and, uh, uh, it's because we're all elk hunters. We're all in this together and, and, and sure loved you allowing us to be a part of your journey. Uh, seriously, guys, I can't thank each one of you enough, and I am going to reach out to all you guys, too, so thank you for that offer, Luis. I appreciate that. Absolutely, brother. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, most people don't know that uh, Gilbert, uh, we had technical issues before because of a storm that went through, and, and it knocked out his uh, it knocked out his uh, power at his house, and it just happened again. He just had another storm come through and knock out his power. So he's trying to connect to us now. now. Yeah, he's trying to connect by his phone over there. So, um, uh, Chad, we're gonna we're gonna say adios to you for tonight. But it's definitely um, not going to be the last time that we all talk, man. So, um, looking forward to a lot of stories, bud. And uh, take care and and and. Uh, Keep us informed. Thank you. Thank you guys for you, take care, too. It was good talking to you. Luis, Chev, Joe, Bye, Gilbert, thank you, guys. No, thank you. Take care, brother. Pleasure, brother. Thanks. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Awesome, bud. We'll see, you down the, we'll see you down the mountain. Sounds good. Take <laughs> so, uh, wasn't that awesome? That was, that cool. was pretty Absolutely. cool, Joe. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Incredible guy. I mean, you can just tell the kind of person he is. Uh, right away you know so absolutely uh, and i hope uh, you guys that are listening out there got a feel for a lot of that and um how much and the reasons that uh, this is so special to so many people that's just one of the examples of the stories there's so many stories out there you have your story we have our story and a lot of people don't understand how this means so much to us because if it wasn't for the elk hunt like i said man there's no enabling there's no awards there's no excuses we just go and get it done out there. And there's Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, there's Gilbert. He's back with us, man. Yeah, He's I made it. Up. I had to go get back in my truck, guys. It's it's a bad lightning storm here. I don't know why my power kicked out. I, I hated missing the last half of, of Chad's story, but it's somehow I don't believe it'll be the last time I get to hear it. No, I've told you. I've told not. you before, Gilbert. There are better hoods out there, you know, where at least they keep the electricity and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so let's let's oh, go to our uh, let's go to our <laughs> mailbox. We uh, we had planned for some live questions, but we also had some questions that came in. And uh, the first one is from Jason from Ripley, West Virginia. And Jason's question was, "How do you decide which bugle to chase?" I got it. I can I answer that one, Joe? Yeah, jump on it, man. All of them. (laughs) (laughs) I know the answer to that one. (laughs) For me, it's all about. For me, it's all about the wind, Joe. You know, Uh uh, gotta have the wind in the right position to be able to to figure out if you're going to go after him or not. You know, and then know if he's already up top. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that go into whether we're going to go chase a bugle. But yeah, if you hear one. And you you know you can get to him and the wind's right. You gotta go. You gotta go figure it yeah. out. 
So what if you have three bugles? Two. Let's yeah, say you got exactly, one in yeah. front and you got one out to the right, you got one out to the left. How do you decide which one of those boogers to go for? And the more I read that question is that's that's the scenario that I was thinking he probably that's what probably what he meant. It's like, uh -huh. okay, well, you got different bugles coming in different directions and so so what do you do now? And and I think at that point is uh, you go back to what Gilbert said. You know, uh, you, you play the wind first and then you kind of evaluate and then obviously evaluate the terrain. And if you know the area, you know, what's what's where you're headed and, and, and how how are you going to approach that elk, um, making sure the wind is the right, you know, in, in your favor. So uh, I don't know. It, it's a tough one for sure. Uh, I hope that's the situation more often to where we have to decide which bugle to to chase. Yeah, that's a good yeah. problem to have, right? Yeah, right? exactly. But, but for the, the sake of you want to have. Yeah, right. for the for the sake of all the variables, man. Let let's say that we we pretty much have the same terrain in front of us. Um, all those bulls are bugling because none of them have smelled us, so we ain't got no problem with the wind. But we have one bull out in front. We got one bull that's probably another 200, 300 yards to the right of that bull. We got another bull that's probably another 200, 300 yards to the left of the middle bull over there. You know, Chad, what would you do to decide which bull to go after? Well, um, you know, like Gilbert mentioned, you know, the wind's the biggest factor. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if, if it so happens that two or more of the bulls are, are wind right, so to speak, uh, just go after the closest one and then, uh, you know, go from there. Yeah. So why are you thinking going after the closest one? Well, you never, you really can't tell which one's the bigger one. If if that's what you're after. Hmm. I know sometimes we followed, uh, what we thought were large bulls because of the way they sounded and they weren't necessarily that large <laughs> sometimes uh you'll hear like a little squeak and uh you'll you'll think it's a, a spike or a raghorn and it ends up being the biggest bull you've ever seen so it's as far as uh going after a, a certain type of bull the bugle won't, won't uh, really let you know that right uh, then again if uh you know you, you try and get what you can so you know go go to the nearest one but if you do find one that's really loud boisterous and is coming in that might change your mind as far as uh, a setup goes you know you might bypass one to get to that one because that one's coming in right yeah, yeah that one may just be a satellite that, that's uh just there that's right really more curious than uh interested yeah that's right the, the day i killed my big bull uh there were five other bulls there that didn't sound off and he was the one doing all, making all the noise. And I almost shot a cow. Uh, if he wouldn't have bugled, I'd have never known he was there, you know. But these other bulls had it pass, already passed in front of us. Uh, for me, you, and we had that all morning. We had bulls in front of us all morning, closer ones, further away. But we just knew that they just kept moving, and we kept moving with them. We actually got the wind right. At a couple of times, the wind wasn't right. So we kind of had to suspend all activities until we got the right type of wind before we moved on. You know, um, I think that's crucial. I think a lot of guys, I think a lot of guys make the mistake or, or the wind swirls on them and it alerts those animals that they're there and they shut up. Right. They think, well, they ran off. Well, yeah, they ran off for a reason. They're not there cause you know, the little gust from the gods or, or something. I mean, 
uh, nine times out of ten, it's the wind that beats you. Yeah, and so some of the things that there's you hit it right on the the head when you were talking about all the variables, Gilbert. But one thing I like to tell people is that you know remember elk hunting is about number one creating opportunities, number two finishing, right? And oh, yeah. the more opportunities you have, um, the better. So like Chav said, you know, you're going to go to the closest one because you end up blowing that on that one and you got other bulls, you know, going. Now you got, you know, plan B comes in, plan C comes in. But if you start to work and you have a bull that's that's uh, responding and that bull's hot and that bull's coming to you, now that bull's going to make up for the distance where you got to go to another one. Again, you get a chance to work that opportunity. And if it doesn't work out, then you have another one in the pocket, right? So That's right. The the other thing that you got to think about is this too. When you're listening to it, you got to listen to what's going on because if you have multiple bulls bugling, that means that there's a bull with a hot cow, right? So if that's the case, then and you listen to how that's going, is it the bull all the way on the left and and that one is uh is is acting like a bull that has a hot cow he's making those those sounds he's doing those uh he's doing the displaying calls he's you know he's doing maybe a roundup or something like that um do you hear cows and in, in the situation or are you still that far out and are these other bulls how are they reacting what kind of bugles are they doing you know um are they satellites moving in on a herbal or are they bulls with their own cows too you try to kind of figure out the situation a little bit because if you end up with the herbal and you got some satellite bulls like that time gilbert talked about that they came in on a park muzzleloader hunting and man all these bulls are out in the middle they have all those cows out there and there's all these satellites on the outside all they had to do was make a chirp man boom here comes that satellite because he's like yeah, yeah, that's mine. I call that one, right? So a lot of times if you read the situation that you're going to come in and play the situation, it's not, uh, I would tell you, number one, first of all, it's it's the closest one that you can deal with that's going to play. If it's not, you read what's going on, and as you move in on the situation, you play the scenario. If you've got a hot bull, are you going to go after the herd bull or are you going to go after one of the satellites? Us, we're going to work a satellite because we're going to go after that first bull and get that one and we're going to try to put a bull on the ground. If you're trying to trophy hunt it, now you got to bugle yourself through those satellites to get at that trophy bull. So, uh, it, it just depends on that situation. But Chav hit it on the head, man. We're going to work the closest or we're going to work the one that wants to play first. And That's we're right. going to keep those other ones in the pocket. If if that doesn't deal out, then we're going to go that way. Okay. Um, we have one from Steven Jensen from Seattle, Washington. It says, I have bow hunted deer for a few years, but now I plan on going on my first elk hunt. My current setup is a Matthews bow, and I really like it. I currently pull 60 pounds, but I believe my bow can go to 70. Is 60 pounds good enough for elk, or do I need to consider cranking the weight up? I, I think it, it depends of how he feels with the weight. You know, if if the 70 pounds he thinks is going to actually uh, be a little bit of a struggle for him, that is going to jeopardize his form and his ability to, you know, smoothly draw and, and, mm -hmm. and put it where he needs to put it, 
um, then I, I wouldn't make the jump. Uh, with regards to the poundage for, for killing elk, yeah, I mean, we all shoot 70 pounds and, and definitely, you know, the more poundage, the better in that front, I would say. But I, I don't, I think 60 pounds is something that absolutely it has the ability to, you know, kill any elk. Um, I, but, but I mean, I learned all of this from, from you guys and, and you, Gilbert. I mean, so I'm, I'm sure you've got way more insight on that than I do. You, you know, for me, um, what the 70 pounds would do for him is flatten his trajectory, right? right. So I'm, I'm not so much worried about his KE because it's going to be it's going to be really good with 60 pounds and a heavy arrow. What I would suggest him to do would be heavy up that arrow, go to a full metal jacket, use a good cut on contact broadhead and, you know, go back and watch our shot placement podcast on YouTube because I don't care if you hit him with 50 pounds, you're going to blow through both, both that area. You're going to blow through that area, hit both lungs, you know, with your setup. Uh, but if you, one uh, guys ask me all the time, should I get it to 70 pounds? And I tell guys all the time, if you can't draw that bow back with your feet off the floor, right, like sitting, like sitting on a on a, a bucket or with your feet off the floor, then you've got too much draw weight. But it's pretty simple. You got three months now to you know before we're gonna be in the woods. It's pretty simple to sit in front of your TV at night and watch. Bosch or whatever y'all are watching on Netflix, put your target in front of you, load an arrow up, and every week make a crank, right? Every week, just cr one crank. You know, in, in four to six weeks, you're going to be up to 70 pounds. I promise you, it's not that hard to get there if you do that. And you yeah. impart that in your training regiment where you're drawing your bow back if you want to get to 70. What 70 does, it takes you from uh, shooting – uh, a 20, 30, 40 yard pin, or, or maybe even, uh, you know, a 20, uh, a 10, 20, 30, it takes and flattens that out where you can use one pin just about to shoot all the way to 30 yards, one pin to 40, one pin to 50. It flattens that trajectory out so we don't have such a, a loop in that arrow when we send it. Because a lot of times when we're hunting, you know, we got we to gotta make sure we can get over something or under something. And, uh, the trajectory is much better when it's a flatter plane. If you, yeah. if you follow it, what I, I would even say, give it a, a try at 65 and see how you feel. So that's, you know, that's just where I was going to go. You yeah. know, it, is it doesn't you build up it, to it. Yeah. Hmm. And it doesn't have to be a jump from 60 to 70. Like uh, right. Luis is telling you the, the 65 and yeah, if you, here's the reason I tell you to work towards at least 65. If you can get to the 70, great, but at least 65. And the reason I say that is, yeah, if you hit that spot that we're talking about, you're, you're, you're golden, right? But crap happens. And uh, we preach not to take marginal shots, but you can be on an animal and have a perfect setup shot. And right as you squeeze that button, that animal turns, he takes a step, he does something. And now a perfect shot can become a marginal shot. So... You know, what if that animal has turned some? Now you end up hitting them back behind the rib or something like that. And uh, and now at least you have more behind that to yeah. push through more of that animal and hopefully help mitigate that right. marginal shot. Yeah, so you're, you're minimizing uh, potential 
I guess, issues there. The stuff that's going to happen with 70 pounds as well, right? But we're just sure. trying to give yourself a, just a, a slight advantage on minimizing situations like that, for sure. Right. But you can actually, I mean, you, you the difference between 60 and 65 might be blowing through a rib rather than deflecting and causing it to come. I mean, there's other things that can happen with that. Or uh, you you hit that animal behind the shoulder, you, you hit it in the sweet mm -hmm. spot, and it comes out the other side instead of just setting up inside that animal, right? And so um, we want two holes. And all I'm telling you is, is the more that you can put on that, um, if you can put 65 on that, that's going to help you as far as mitigating some of those bad shots. All right. Um, I think we're going to, um, well, let's do this last one. We're going to do this last one, and then we'll get out of here. Kelly from Goodyear, Arizona. Man, we had Washington, Virginia, West Virginia, and Arizona. Um, Kelly says, how important is it for your rangefinder to be spot on, and how do you use it in the heat of the moment? Um, I, I want to do something because I'm the guy that doesn't use the rangefinder here, um, uh, but I see guys with rangefinders all the time. Then I'm gonna let the rangefinder guys talk about how they use it in the heat of the moment. But here's what I want to throw out there before the pin shooters do it: is that I've seen guys that have the rangefinder that will be three yards, four yards difference from my rangefinder, right? It might be, um, it, it might not be calibrated the same as mine, but that's not important. What's important is that's your rangefinder and that's what you practice with so that you're used to whatever that range is giving you because that's locked into whatever your pins are. You, you don't, now, if it's, is calibrated off you don't want to be asking somebody else to give you range if it's different you want to be using your range finder but here's what i wanted to tell you is that i think too many people depend on their range finder especially for things that get close and tight in the heat of the moment you might not have that and you have actually just restricted yourself so what i would tell all of y'all that are pin shooters is during your practice, when I talk about getting uncomfortable, is get out there and know your 30. Throw that rangefinder over on the side. Know your 40. Know your 30. Know your 20, right? Shoot that 30. Shoot that 20. Shoot that 10. Shoot that 40. Shoot that 30. Shoot that 20. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take your arrows. You're not going to know what any of your marks are, and you're going to start walking from your target back and you're going to throw arrows out. You're just going to toss them and you're going to go pick up that first arrow. You're going to turn around and shoot it at your target without ranging it so that you get used to judging that distance from having shot your 20, your 30, and your 40 so much. Okay. Get so that you now, especially from 30 in, if you're, if you struggle with 40, cool. But if you're 30 in, man, you should be able to judge that distance out there because most of you guys, I think from 30 to 20 is what? That much? Right? Yeah, maybe four and a half, five inches. Is that much? Mm -hmm. Is it that much? Sometimes. Yeah, about that yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the the thing is, man, is... If if you will do this, practice throwing and tossing and then shooting, get used to 
judging that in your mind. So now you get in a, t- a tight situation, that critter's coming through. You know that bull's at 20, man. He might be at 25, but you're putting that 20 pin right there in that spot. Boom, you're popping that thing. And because you might end up in a situation where now you're trying to think about getting a range and trying to get that down, now getting on and pulling back, you might not have that time. And then that's an opportunity missed. So that's all I'm going to tell you is do more of that actual judging without of it without it to be ready for the heat of the moment as well. So you guys, what how do you guys handle your range finders in the heat of the moment? Yeah, Joe, for me, um I, I don't do it in the heat of the moment. So uh at the end of the day, when we're setting up on a bull and he's coming, my first range is I want to know where thirty yards is, right? So I'm gonna range an object that's thirty yards from me. Mm. So I know when that bull gets to that, you know, you're setting up with your cover to your back and you're out front. I'm going to find where 30, 40, and 50 is. And really it doesn't matter where yeah. anything inside of that 30. Anything in that side of that 30, I could put my 20 or my 30-yard pin on it and I'm going to be golden. I'm going to tell you right now, if I hit within four inches of where I'm aiming, he's in dire straits. Right. right. I mean, because right. I'm I'm middle to just a little upper in that zone. And if I'm four inches low, it's still catching both lungs. Right. Right. So at right. the at the end of the day, I'm not so worried about inside of 30. I just need to know where 30 is. And what makes the mountains hard is the undulation that you have. Right. And some of the corridors you have to shoot down. So a lot of times something appears a lot closer than it is. And it's mm-hmm. actually further away which mm-hmm. happened to Brendan this year. He actually thought a bull was a whole lot closer to him than he actually was. He shot him for 40 and the bull's almost 70, you know? So, yeah. but it was that corridor that he looked down at. He thought the bull was a lot closer and he may have even ranged that bull at that distance. But for me, it's about ranging objects in front of me. Same thing when I'm stand hunting for whitetails. I ain't range objects in front of me. I know when that whitetail walks in, if he walks by that tree, that tree's at 32 yards. And as he cuts the distance, I know exactly where I'm going to put my pen. It's no different What happens if What happens if you're out there and all of a sudden a bull shows up and he's walking across at 40? What are you doing? And so you, this isn't a setup. You're going, you're moving through the woods and there's been calling all of a sudden one man, you see the horns coming through the trees at 40. What are you doing? Well, you got to make a call then, but I'm going to tell you as a, as an ethical elk hunter for me, mm-hmm. I'm not shooting that bull if I don't know how far he is. Okay. Bottom I agree line. with you. So Bottom do, line. do you, you grab your range finder and range him as he's walking through? Yes, yes sir. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, well, he normally has a chav ranging for him. Yeah. That's what happens. Is, is. That's right. at, 40, at 40, Joe, inside of 30, I'm pretty good, right? right. I, yeah. I feel like if that bull's 32, 33 yards, I'm going to judge him for that. But it's out past 40, 40 and beyond, it can get kind of dicey because of the terrain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know, that, but I, I know have, range I finders have, can lie to you too, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, yes, yeah, it's can, it's easy to it's easy had, to. I've never had that problem, you no. know. Well, it's easy. It depends on the terrain. Yeah. If you got if you got a limb or something and you range and you you hit a little limb or something like that, <laughs> hey, it, it yes. happens, right? But that's why a blade of grass. Yeah, or you know, even sometimes even like a a, a dusk, like 
different lighting may cause yeah. some of those rangefinders to kind of slightly malfunction and some dark backgrounds also it will be to where you click and you don't you you can't you can't read uh yeah, look you know all, all of those have happened to me before so back to your point uh, uh joe of practicing if just visually kind of getting comfortable with you know the judging distances is right. super important i've always you know i've said it before i guess here that when if you're in a stand if you're in a setup then yes like gilbert said it's easy to kind of uh do a get a mental map by getting right. distances of, of reference points trees that are in certain areas that you know and then that now you kind of know where things are dynamically elk hunting different deal also because of what Gilbert said with regards to the topography, you know, it, it, things, it, the distances are deceiving. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and look, like, like Joe said, a, a big stalk of something, a Soto stalk, whatever it could be, could be sticking up in your way. Chad, mm -hmm. we had a, we had a bull come out. <laughs> I knew that bull was about, it, it had to be at least 50 and Chad ranged him. And he told me 18 and I'm like, <laughs> I look at him, I'm at, I'm at full draw and I looked at him and I went, 18 he's like yeah that's what i said move over to the right a little bit i looked out there and i could see that salt sticking up right in line with where he's ranging he moved over a little bit he goes 58 and, I took that thing loose, dude, and the rest was history yeah but yeah i mean 18 18 i can hear that thing clicking click 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 click, click. Yeah. i'm like chap how far is he? he's like 18 i'm like oh oh yeah, so Chad, it's a it's a good tool, but not something to fully rely on. You have to have some of that uh, judging yeah. uh, practice for sure. Well, Chav, well, I, I, Chav I could have moved. I, Chav, I could have sworn I heard a bunch of clicking this year too when uh, when you were oh, yeah. ranging for Gilbert. Yeah. What was going on there? Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I had a. <laughs> well, I'm asking him. I'm asking him the whole time. I'm at full draw, holding, and I'm like, "How far, Chad? How far? How far?" And he's tick, 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 tick. And he goes, "38." I'm like, "I'm good. Let's get him, man." There we go. <laughs> All right, no doubt it. that rangefinder is is a is a deal. You got to practice with it. Hey, everybody out there, man, if, if you like what we're doing, if you enjoyed the show tonight, please go on, uh, subscribe, uh, subscribe on, uh, Apple podcasts or on iTunes rate and review us. We would appreciate that. You have to go to Apple podcasts or iTunes to do it. And, and if you want to read tonight's story that, uh, is going to be on there from Chad Hashin, uh, go to elkrose.com. Right. Um, and a reminder, uh, if you have any questions like these, these were great questions tonight that you want to hear answer on the Absolutely. show. Just send those questions in to info at elkbros.com. You betcha. Fantastic show tonight, guys. I'm sorry. I've kind of threw a hiccup into everything. Uh, coming to you from a stormy spring, Texas out here. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, we, we got the lightning going tonight and the hail and all the, all the power outages and everything, but we figured out how to get it done. Like, like our brother and our elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia, says, where there's a will, there's a way. And we figured Absolutely. out how to get it done. <laughs> Fellas, y'all be safe. Uh, like I always say, man, this social distancing, we're starting to be able to come together a little bit. So husbands, hug your wives. Wives, hug your husbands. Kiss your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week.
right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Good night, everybody. Peace, peace. Peace, peace.